Welcome to our podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Karen. And this is The Walking Dead cast episode 148. I said podcast, but it's actually a I podcast. Know. I, I was going to give you a hard time. <laughs> it's okay. I'll leave it in. Um, I'm really happy to be back podcasting again. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do. Podcast, baby. Well, a podcast would probably go on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, or red tube, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's that, Karen? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, so this you're gonna episode, edit that out, right? This episode, no way. We're gonna be talking about The Shining. Uh, we're gonna reveal the winners of our Telltale Walking Dead contest. Who get you know? We're giving away three copies of all the Walking Dead games so far. We'll have some news. We'll have listener moans, groans, and grunts. We'll have stuff that's great. Let's do it, man. But first, I, I was uh, thinking I would talk a little bit about Walker Stalker Con Boston, which I just got back from. Yes, so, please do. How was it? It was really great. It was really cool, especially considering that this time AMC said that we could not have panels with any of the current cast members. Yeah. But John Bernthal was there, and <gasps> it was it was great. I mean... First of all, Boston is one of my favorite cities and the hotel was super nice and and it was the best like in Atlanta we had the panel room like literally a quarter mile away from the rest of the convention, you know? Yes. And then in Chicago the panels was, were right in the middle of everything uh which kind of was hard because it made it noisy. So mm-hmm. this time it was just right outside the convention in this big in this building that had all glass walls and it was just beautiful. Oh, that's um, so great. N- nobody cares about that probably, but I that was really cool. And so, you know, people just loved going over and and we had like a lot of people at the panels and John Bernthal got up and it was so packed. It was probably a fire hazard. And uh, I didn't even barely get to ask him any questions because people were lining up. But he on the way in there, he in the hallway, he was like, oh, man, I need some coffee. But by the time he got out there, the energy was electric and electric and he was just lit on fire. And he was like, he could not stop himself from cussing. He just kept saying, fuck every other word. (laughs) He apologized for a couple of times. Then he was just like, whatever. Did you ask him what the 22 on his necklace signified? Uh, no, I think that's his football number. But uh, like I said, I didn't get to ask him any uh, questions hardly. <laughs> did the I, audience ask a lot of questions? Yeah, I mean, I asked one or two, but the audience was lined up. And I, you know, I, I, I want them it to be their show, not mine. So 
I just handed it over to them and it was great. He had this one girl, he asked her what she does for a living and she said she's a musician and he told her to ask her to make some music right then. And she went into this really long rap and it was really great and everybody was clapping and stuff. (laughs) That is fantastic. You know, I saw a picture of him uh, and uh, he's got a beard right now. He's got a beard, he's got a mustache and he kind of looks like he was all smiley, which he wasn't much when he was Shane um, as Shane. And uh, he looks kind of like a young uh, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, he does. And he's a lot, he's smaller than you would think. I, I'm bigger than him, but he's stronger. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) he, yeah, he has that beard and he, he actually seemed a little, I don't know, distant from me. Like, almost uh i don't know he was really connected with the audience though and he talked a lot about darabont and how much he respects darabont and he talked a lot about shane and how he really felt like shane brought rick out there at the end because he wanted rick to kill shane to because he felt like he had to die but also he just wanted rick to have to go through that to toughen himself up you know that's the way he he wanted it to explicitly be more like that where rick picked up shane's gun at the end and it wasn't loaded that's what that's how john bernthal wanted it to end oh that's nice actually that's a great take on it um so he was great um the uh, the other panels were all good they were all good Melissa Hutchison, you know, Clementine yes. from Telltale was great as always. Jeff Kober was there, the guy that played Joe. Yeah, so cute. And it cute. was really fun to ask him about what it's like to be a psycho. And he <laughs> <laughs> he talked a lot about being in the moment. And he said that he's been in this business for many, many years. But uh, uh, he learned something about acting from Andrew Lincoln because he was so committed. And wow. that was pretty That's- cool. Very one, cool. one of the best panels was the the girls, uh, Madison Lintz, who played Sophia, <laughs> and Addie Miller, who played that first girl uh, zombie uh-huh. from the very first scene. And then there was, um, oh, I forgot her name, uh, Merrick Murphy, I think, who played Megan, uh, the governor's kind of foster daughter there at the yes. end. And she was, she's like only 10 years old and she's super cute and really smart. She was giving us all these theories. I asked the girls why they think girls, you know, die in The Walking Dead so much and not boys. And she's like, well, we're more tender and it just makes the audience care more. And she just went on and started theorizing. And I'm like, how old are you? And she's like, well, I'm 10, but my mom says I'm 10 going on 20. (laughs) That was pretty cool. It's adorable. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, tender. That's true. It's easier for Lizzie to to get the knife in. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, who else? Brighton was there. Speaking of Lizzie, and right? She talked about True Detective and you know what it's been like after the show's over and all this. And she was great. Then we had some academics, international politics, and zombies, which everybody liked. And then we had a couple of pathologists who both happened to have written zombie novels at the same time. Oh, my God. That's fabulous. Yeah, you would have loved it. Oh, my God. I really, really would have. That makes me so excited, though, for Atlanta. Yeah, we got to get some more guys like that. Um, Yeah. Smart people. Um, (laughs) So anyway, I was really happy. Oh, I, I I have to also mention Emma Bell, you know, who played Amy. Yes. I have a total crush on her now. 
that picture of the two of you that you posted on Facebook. <laughs> oh my god, she looks like your girlfriend. I know. I know. <laughs> I probably shouldn't post that because now Eric's like, oh, the rumor is that Emma Bell is dating Jason, and <laughs> just as a joke, right? And I'm like. No, no, we're just good friends who've only spoken once and one of us doesn't know the other one exists, but otherwise we're very close. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it, we really uh, vibed, I thought. It was it was a lot of fun. So oh, I was nice. thinking that, uh, and it was fun to hear her take on how the series has gone and everything, and she thinks that, that um, uh, uh, Amy would be with Daryl by now. Aww. <laughs> But uh, she <laughs> I think that's true. She she was kind of. Yeah, it, it was pretty funny. Somebody was like, uh, do you think that Amy and Beth would or that Beth would be competition for Daryl? And she's like, please. <laughs> but then she's like, I'm just kidding. I don't know. But, um, if you guys would like, I think this time I haven't done this before, but I might ask Eric if it's okay if we publish some of those as podcast episodes or part of podcast episodes. If you guys are interested in hearing them, especially with like John Bernthal, who we haven't been able to get on the podcast, it might be kind of fun. So let really me know cool. if you want that. I'll that try to make is... it happen. Did you um, meet any of our listeners? Uh, yeah, a few. We didn't do a meetup this time, but. Um, a, a few people came up and said hi and it was really cool and fun and I didn't get to talk to anybody for all that long like a couple of times people would say hi and they'd say hey hey I listen to your podcast and I'm like oh cool and they're like okay thanks like they wanted me just to leave <laughs> 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 but uh, it was it was really cool to to meet everybody I also, before we move on, I just wanted to thank uh, Mr. Blog, who moderate co-moderated most of the panels with me. We love him. He did a fantastic job. He's He was friends with Judith O'Day's son in high school, so she's the one from Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Did we know that before? Yeah. Uh-huh. I didn't, um, I didn't remember that. he talked wow. to her a lot because, you know, he's been in her house and everything, and they really oh my God. Russ Strainer was there this time too, so we got. I, I I said, "Can you please say your signature line?" And he's like, oh, "We're coming to get you, Barbara." <laughs> that was freaking awesome. <laughs> um, I also wonderful. want to thank Romy of Romero Film, Romero Film, Romero Film. <laughs> he uh, did a bunch of little videos for us that we played at the beginning of the panels that just showed clips of the people. And I just really appreciate that. And so if you want to look at and see what he's got going on, you can go to at Romy Rofilm, that's R-O-M-E-Y-R-O-F-I-L-M on Twitter, or Romy Rofilms on YouTube, and you can see some of his work. And then last but not least, I want to thank Mary True, who helps out with the panels. I mean, she pretty much runs it. She makes sure all the actors are there and they have everything that they need and just you know has our back the whole time and just having you there mary if you're listening made it so much easier to really focus on you know making sure that the that i had all my questions set and you know i was ready to do all that so totally appreciate plus she's just a really cool person to have around so um she just became one of the core team members of walker stalker con and we were all really happy about that so we're gonna see her in atlanta uh yeah yeah we'll see her in atlanta that's good 
And we missed you, Karen. We missed you there. I know. I know. I know. I, know I miss being there. I saw everybody's posts oh, and yeah. I was just di- dying a little bit inside every time <laughs> I saw somebody saying, oh, hey, check me out. Here I am with, you know, this person or that person. Here I'm having drinks with. Oh, God, I wanted to be there so much. Well, yeah. So Atlanta, you're coming to Atlanta and that's going to be yes. great. It's in October. Uh, and we will do a meetup there again. So everybody who's thinking about going to Atlanta, Walker Starker Con is just getting bigger and bigger. And I, it just feels like Atlanta is going to be really huge this year. So if you haven't gone, but you've kind of been on the fence about it, this is the time. Or if you have and you had a really good time and you want to come back, this is the one to go to. So and I'm excited about meeting more of you guys there. So cool. And come up and say hi and uh, let me buy you a drink. Yay. There, I've said it. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to the main course for today's podcast. We talked last time about our favorite horror movies ever, and The Shining was on my list. We asked you guys if we should talk about The Shining or Exorcist this time. It was a close call, but The Shining came out slightly ahead, so we're going to talk about that one. Was That that wasn't on your list, right, but honorable mentions? Honorable mentions for sure, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I loved it. Um, so um, you want to go over uh, each person's general thoughts and then we'll get into it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, go ahead. All right. All right. Uh, <laughs> so I watched this the other day uh, by myself. It was last weekend and David was producing the A's games, A's versus the Yankees. And so David was gone all weekend long producing the A's games. And uh so I was by myself and I watched it. I actually kind of got a little freaked out and I had to stop yeah. it at one point and go away and do something else and come back to it when it was a little lighter outside. <laughs> it, it was really funny. I didn't think that it, the first time I saw it, it didn't strike me as that scary. And then I watched it again. I'm like, damn, this is really scary. Especially yeah, especially if you're by yourself. I was, I'm still on Boston time. So I woke up at like three in the morning and couldn't go back to sleep. And I'm like, well, I need to watch it. So I turned it on and Nico was next to me asleep and it was dark and I turned and as I was getting through every once in a while, I just look over and be like, I'm really glad Nico's here, even though he's only two and a half years old. <laughs> <laughs> He'll protect you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Something about a two and a half year old. I know what you mean. Just somebody. And then yes. Nico no, I was, and went, I was grateful rum, for the... Rum. I was grateful for the cat. Okay, <laughs> exactly. So let's uh, let's do a top five, shall we? Okay. Well, just I just want to go over a couple things. So this was released in 1980. It was directed by Stanley Kubrick, of course. It starred Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, and Scatman Crothers, and uh, the kid was Danny Lloyd. And in general, I just wanted to say that I like how this film mixes the psychological and the supernatural. I think. It just does a really good job of that. And also that this is a, I love the movie by the way. And I think it's a, an example of a movie being ambitious and succeeding. Like sometimes when a movie is ambitious, but it doesn't succeed, then I really don't like it. And I would rather have a movie not be that ambitious and succeed like dumb and dumber. I thought is a great comedy. It's super stupid, but that's what it sets out to be. And so I like it kind of, (laughs) but some movies that are kind of self-important, but don't quite live up to it. I don't like, but this one had a lot of weight and artistry behind it. And it just felt like a fully realized 
vision successfully realized. And so I, I totally admire it. Yeah, it you can tell it was meticulously crafted. I guess they took about a year to film it. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, very long shoot. And a uh, couple other little details about it that it was um, actually filmed. The interiors were mostly a set, which is incredible to me that it was filmed on a set in England. And it was the set, by the way, that uh, uh, Return of, not Return of the Jedi, um, uh, Empire Strikes Back was filmed at right afterwards. And oh, wow. some of the snow that's used in the exterior shots was snow that was then uh, reused, repurposed, uh, fake snow, obviously, uh, repurposed for um, the planet Hoth. Oh, neat. Yeah, isn't it cool? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's a set, and it's such a big, big set. Um, and it, I mean, I thought, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, they must have filmed that at a hotel somewhere, some giant, giant, yeah. weird hotel. Nope, it was all done inside. I told David that, and David's like, no, that, there's no way it was filmed on a set. And I'm like, yeah, that was a set. And Stephen King's book is based on, I think it's called The Stanley Hotel in Colorado, uh-huh. I think. Right. And um, he was disappointed that it wasn't filmed there. And when he did his own TV miniseries version in the 90s, that I think they did film it there inside and out. I'm not sure about that, but I think. Yes, so. you're absolutely right. In Estes Park, Colorado. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And some of the um, exterior shots, by the way, are at Timberline Lodge, great old WPA hotel uh, near uh, Mount Hood, near Portland, Oregon, on Mount Hood. And mm-hmm. uh, it's really cool. Have you ever been there at Timberline Lodge? No, I don't think so. It's fabulous. Really an amazing and place. The only thing is there's no there's no hedge maze there. So when the you see the overhead shots, it's missing the hedge maze. <laughs> Which they would have probably CG'd in if they'd made it today, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's really funny because it didn't even strike me that there's no hedge maze there uh, when they did the overhead shots. That hedge maze is really cool and mostly like styrofoam or something. Oh, I was wondering who maintains that hedge maze because Jack wasn't doing it. It still <laughs> looked pretty good. <laughs> it was a winter. It was winter. It wasn't growing too much. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Huh? The ghost was Okay, there. so you have a top five, right? I do. I do too. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. You you go first. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and skip to sort of the middle of the film. Mm -hmm. And it, my number five is the moment when Wendy, the character, Wendy looks down and sees what Jack has been writing and he's been furiously typing. You hear him typing, 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 typing. And she looks down and it's page after page of all the same thing all work and no play makes jack a dull boy yeah and it's crazy because it even looks like it was written text with indentations and paragraphs and it looks like something that he was actually writing but in fact it's all work and no play makes jack a dull boy again and again and again it's so crazy it's a great moment and uh i just loved it and the look on her face shelly duvall was fantastic her big eyes go even bigger and um, I guess uh, Kubrick also had somebody type it all and record the sound of the typing so that it would authentically sound like the phrase, all work and no play makes Jack and Dull Boy. Wow. Yeah. And a couple other weird little things for the German version of um, or all the different uh, languages uh, for each different language it was dubbed in. Um, they had a different idiom um, that was used for that scene. So in German, 
Um, the uh, expression is never put off till tomorrow what may be done today. In Italian, it was the morning has gold in its mouth. In French, he typed, one, here you go is worth more than two, you'll have it. The equivalent of a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And in Spanish, he typed, no matter how early you get up, you can't make the sun rise any sooner. It's funny how those are like, like all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy is basically saying... I don't want to be working so much, but the morning has gold in its mouth is like, get to work, you know, like do do it now or never put off till tomorrow what may be done today, which sort of makes it more ironic, I guess. (laughs) Right. And then no matter how early you get up, you can't make the sunrise any sooner. What does that mean? I know, right? Just take it easy. I don't know. No. um, Yeah, that's what it means. It means, yeah, it means take it easy. Let things no happen how in their early own time. Get, you can't make the sunrise any sooner, so go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I think it means like let things happen in their own time, which sort of, uh, that I think that makes the most sense based on writing the same phrase over and over again in a book. <laughs> right, <laughs> but, right, uh, exactly. Yeah, I read that too. Actually, I have it here in my notes. But I, I, yeah, I love that scene, mostly because as soon as you see that, you're like, oh, dude, was he... How, how crazy was he when he first got there, you know? And I think he did have some craziness in him when he first got there, but maybe he just started writing that because he had writer's block and he was just fooling around or getting something down on the page. And then he just kept going with it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> what do you think? Maybe I think he was he was a nut job the minute he walked in to, there to start. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I yeah I got a lot more to say about that, but I don't, I'll, I'll save it for a little bit later. I'm going to start with my number five, which is just just that this movie has. I saw it when I was a kid. For one thing, you know, I was probably ten years old myself, and these it had so many moments that stuck with me all these years that had a big impact on me. And I I might be stealing some of your, but we can unpack some of these if you have them later. But I just wanted to go through like all these moments that made an impression on me. Um, First was Jack seeing Wendy and Danny in the model hedge maze. Yeah. Like, oh, what the hell? And then Danny seeing the twin girls asking, play with us. And then they're all bloody and chopped up. Ew. (laughs) The part where Danny sits on his father's lap. And he's uncomfortable and Jack is saying he would never hurt him. That stuck yep. with me. The woman in the bathtub was probably the biggest one. Ugh, like She had skin issues. Every time I take a shower, I think about that ever since then. It sucks, <gasps> man. No, really? <laughs> Just about. Not every time anymore, but for a long time, I thought about it. And I was like, Ugh. And then uh, the whole the one we just talked about, the manuscript... Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't remember that he typed it in different formats. It wasn't just lines. It was like some pages look like screenplay. Some look like yes. novels. Yeah. Crazy, right? Seeing red rum on the door and red Tony rum. saying it over and over again. Yes. And it sounded almost like not human. Yes. Um, yeah. Jack taking an axe to Holleran's stomach. That one stuck with me. Another yeah, one. I like Scatman Crother so much in that role. It was so very sad. I like how he, he had those fine ladies on his wall in his bedroom. Yes, they were fine. <laughs> uh, the Probably the most iconic one is 
Jack chopping through the bathroom door and saying, here's Johnny. Yeah. Did you see that Johnny Carson used that as his intro after the movie came out? That that season he came back and he <laughs> used that um, before That's he came funny. out on the stage. Then there's Jack chasing Danny through the hedge maze and Danny backtracking over his footsteps. And uh, I, I remember that so vividly thinking that smart is such kid. a smart kid. Yeah. And then the yep. last scene with Jack freezing and then the camera zooming in on that old photo with Jack front and center back in the 20s. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see the uh, the Simpsons version, the Treehouse of Horror that is The Shining, the riff on The Shining? I don't remember it. The entire family freezes together, all the Simpsons Uh-oh. at the very end. It's adorable. Oh, I think I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. hilarious. Uh, you know, I was watching and and when um, there was all the kind of eerie chanting at the end, which it turns out is actually just part of the song uh-huh. that they played. Um, and Wendy started seeing some of the things that Jack had been seeing, like the ghostly people or whatever. I did yes. not remember that. So it's weird that that didn't stick with me because I was like, oh, wow, this is even freakier than I remembered. Are you referring to when she gets to the top of the staircase and she looks over in the room and there is a dude in a dog pig mask uh, going down on a dude in a suit? Yeah. (laughs) That was really, I mean, that was the most, the weirdest, most random yeah. thing through i remember seeing that i looked at david and i was like what the <laughs> you know <laughs> when i was a kid i read i just like would open the book and read random passages and i think there was a lot of that throughout the book a lot of hedonistic crap going on and people in masks and stuff yeah it's it didn't, it, didn't make it's all messed up <laughs> it's all messed up <laughs> Um, so what, so all these scenes, you know, I, I wonder, okay, you're the right person to ask Karen because I saw them as a kid and they stayed with me and I wonder, okay, someone who's lived through all the fast paced and gory stuff that we've seen in the intervening years might think that this came off kind of tamely or not as intense. So was it, uh, as, uh, an adult who is slightly jaded by gory movies and horror films and actually mm-hmm. kind of laughs at a lot of them. I got to tell you, this scared the pants off me. <laughs> and it, it there are a lot of disturbing scenes that st- stuck with me. So, and I just saw it um last year for the first time, I think. Mm-hmm. Um or maybe it was a couple months ago. It wasn't that long ago that I saw it uh mm-hmm. for the first time. So, yeah, it really has uh, a lot of those scenes are incredibly vivid. That's I I really have to say that speaks to um Stanley Kubrick. He's an amazing filmmaker and that's what this it it was like one iconic moment after the next in this movie and a lot of them have made their way into popular culture so there were some things like the here's johnny i'd seen that a million times right because i mean that you can't be a human and not have seen some of these iconic scenes before Mm -hmm. and and so you know some of them were i think some of the effect it didn't have the same kind of effect on me right because i'm like oh yeah no i've seen that i felt the same way the first time i saw casablanca i know huh yep but it's fun to see it in context for the first time and go oh that's yeah 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 absolutely i mean even though some of that that initial scare wasn't there there was still like oh my god this is brilliant and oh my Mm -hmm. god i get it now so yeah it's an amazing film to see as an adult Mm -hmm. okay what's your number four 
Okay, my number four was the soundtrack. I thought the soundtrack was really incredible and lent so much to um, to the film. So one of the scenes that I loved, and I love the cinematography. I could go on and on about the cinematography, the set design I already kind of have, but um, the, the Steadicam shot, and I'm just going to bring up one particular thing where the sound was incredible. It was that... That Steadicam shot that was the long tracking shots of Danny riding his bike through the hotel. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird because the camera follows at kind of his eye view and Danny pedals around through the corridor after corridor on his on his big wheel tricycle. And the soundtrack goes crazy when he's on the wooden floor. And then it's super, super quiet when he crosses over carpet. And then it goes back to the wooden. I mean, it sounds just like it would sound. And it's kind of even in, it's enhanced and it's just amazing. So, yeah, I, I love that whole scene. I loved it visually. I loved it. I loved the sound of it. And um, throughout the entire film, it was this weird dissonant noises. Mm-hmm. And uh, I loved it. Me too. It's very from the start, the or whatever it was when they yeah that shows the car driving out you know the music shaped the movie especially in the beginning where there was a lot of setup and you might not think it was creepy at all if it was happy music but so the music just instead of it being kind of boring it ramped up the tension yeah so that was awesome and there was a lot of um parts with a slow heartbeat effect Mm-hmm. Like when Jack sees the naked lady in the bath, thump, 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 which is really great. I mean, very slow to match the pace of Kubrick often, you know, is very deliberate pace with his movies. In other words, very slow sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that, 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 that was very effective. But then there was that thing at the end that had the chanting and it was just really dissonant and, and disconcerting and, uh, I'm going to try to play a little bit of that and see if it works. Let me see. Um, I'll talk over it until it gets to the meat of it. But there was chanting going on in this thing. And I wondered if it was supposed to be like Native American chanting because it's on an Indian burial ground or something. But it, here it is. And, or I thought, is this the denizens of the the ghost denizens of the hotel you know right um oh it's so scary sounding yeah but it turns out that it's these are uh liturgical compositions in other words religious by polish composer krzysztof penderecki they were actually composed in 1970 and 71 and it's what's called slavonic chanting which is religious and it, it just fit with the tone and what was going on so well that it surprised me that um, Kubrick just found it already all complete, you know, and didn't somehow create it yeah. for this movie. And it's such, it's such an unusual choice for a movie like that. I mean, yeah. it fit it perfectly, but it's not the normal choice. It's also, but anyway. <laughs> wow, totally it's creepy. really, really scary sounding. Yeah, I liked I liked the music a lot. It could have it was so like such a prominent part of the movie that if the rest if the other aspects of the movie weren't so strong that the music could have overwhelmed it, you know? 
Uh-huh. Right, right, right. Okay, my turn? Yeah. All right. So this is kind of a long one, but it's King versus Kubrick. Ah, <laughs> yay! I'm so glad you're going to talk about this. <laughs> There's a lot. I mean, King Stephen King has said a lot about this. I think I read at some point that Kubrick was going to tap King to write it, but then he changed his mind or something. But anyway, he got this other novelist, this woman, Joanne davis or something to write the screenplay and king didn't like the way it turned out and so i'm going to give you a few a little bit of king's perspective and then a little bit of cubic's perspective so this is from wikipedia says king thought that his novel's important themes such as the disintegration of the family and the dangers of alcoholism were ignored king has admitted he was suffering from alcoholism at the time he wrote the novel and as such there was an element of autobiography in the story King especially viewed the casting of Nicholson as a mistake and as being too early a tip off to the audience that the character Jack would eventually go mad due to Nicholson's identification with the character of McMurphy in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I would guess due to the fact that Nicholson just looks like an insane person anyways (laughs) (laughs) and acts like one. Uh, King suggested that a more everyman like actor such as John Voight or Christopher Reeve or Michael Moriarty play the role. So Jack's subsequent descent into madness would be more unnerving. But people would know from the trailers anyway. But it, I guess it would still be unnerving. <laughs> I'll talk about later whether I agree with that or not. But anyways, King has spoken a lot about his disappointment with the film. For example, he said, quote, I'd admired Kubrick for a long time and had great expectations for the project, but I was deeply disappointed in the end result. Parts of the film are chilling, charged with a relentlessly claustrophobic terror, but others fall flat. I think there are two basic problems with the movie. First, Kubrick is a very cold man, pragmatic and rational and he had a great difficulty conceiving even academically of a supernatural world. A visceral skeptic such as Kubrick just couldn't grasp the sheer inhuman evil of the Overlook Hotel, so he looked instead for evil in the characters and made the film into a domestic tragedy with only vaguely supernatural overtones. That was the basic flaw because he couldn't believe he couldn't make the film believable to others. That That sort of presumes that there was some kind of a lack on Kubrick's part, but maybe he just didn't like that angle you know maybe he wanted it to be about the evil in characters rather than some supernatural evil but anyways there's a lot of snarkiness between these two so kubrick says quote with this is from stanley kubrick with the shining the problem was to extract the essential plot and to reinvent the sections of the story that were weak The characters needed to be developed a bit differently than they were in the novel. It is in the pruning down phase that the undoing of great novels usually occurs because so much of what is good about them has to do with the fineness of the writing, the insight of the author, and often the density of the story. But The Shining was a different matter. Its virtues lay almost entirely in the plot and didn't prove to be very much of a problem to adapt into screenplay form. So he totally dissed King there, basically saying it had nothing to do with the fineness of the writing or the insight of the author with why, right. that's why he chose that. <laughs> you know, it's funny too, because I, I really consider this to be a ghost story. Um, yeah, I, I don't. You really think it's more about uh, somebody going crazy? Totally. I mean, I think that Jack and Wendy were in trouble already. And, that their marriage was on a downward course and that they had this classic um, abusive codependent relationship where he had his addiction and it was out of control and she was making excuses for him. 
and they were trying to maintain the status quo, but neither one of them was happy at all. And I don't think that it would have, the, the relationship would have necessarily ended with him trying to chop them up with an ax, but <laughs> I do think it could have gotten more abusive, physically abusive for sure. Okay. Uh, I agree with you uh, to a point. I think that after he pulled poor little Danny's arm out of his socket or whatever he did uh, when he was drunk and he was pulling Danny before, yeah. way before the Overlook Hotel, um, before they even went there. After that, he swore off alcohol and then he, I guess he hadn't had a thing since then. So I think it would have kept going. He made mistakes. He was drunk. He stopped drinking and apparently things were okay. I think, though, that you come to a place like the Overlook Hotel, built on an Indian burial ground and full of crazy ghosts that that inhabit you, that pushes you over the edge. So I think it was the combination of him being crazy and the Overlook Hotel, which would play upon... Uh, I mean, it did the same thing to the previous caretaker. Yeah. I mean, I think the... the um supernatural aspects definitely amped it up but i don't think they were okay like when they were driving out there and wendy's trying to be helpful and says something like you know oh you just need to write every day and that that's um you know how you that's what it takes then jack's like that's right that's what it takes but he's totally contemptuous when he's saying it like he does seem like a jerk you're right yeah everything Every interaction with him and Wendy, except for the, a couple of times when he's scared, he he seems contemptuous to me. And that, you know, maybe the smallest um, thing that might have happened is they just would have lived a life of misery together. <laughs> <laughs> but I really don't see, at least from where they've been and where they are now, that this story was going to have a happy ending, whether they went to the Overlook Hotel or not. That's all. That's my big hunch. There's yeah, a little bit more yeah. from uh, Kubrick here about supernatural. It's interesting. He says, it. it's strange that you emphasize the supernatural aspect since one could say that in the film you give a lot of weight to an apparently rational explanation of Jack's behavior. Oh, this is a question. Attitude, claustrophobia, solitude, lack of booze. Then he replies, Stephen Crane wrote a story called The Blue Hotel. In it, you quickly learn that the central character is a paranoid he gets involved in a poker game, decides someone is cheating him, makes an accusation, starts a fight, and gets killed. You think the point of the story is that his death was inevitable because a paranoid poker player would ultimately get involved in a fatal gunfight, but in the end you find out that the man he accused was actually cheating him. I think <laughs> The Shining uses a similar kind of psychological misdirection to forestall the realization that the supernatural events are actually happening. So that sort of points to, okay, so there is a supernatural, you know, he does want to emphasize the supernatural events too. So, um, I don't know. I still, I still think that it's a combination of both. Yeah. And, and actually you're not alone. There are plenty of people out there who say that, that this is all happening. This, they're unreliable narrators and this might be all happening in Jack, Wendy and Danny's heads too. I don't think, I think it's, there's some ghost. <laughs> I hope there's ghosts. Stuff. Okay, so this is one of the things I'm going to talk about um, my number one, which is I'm going to slot in here at number three because it fits okay. so well. And that is that there's 
this is the kind of film that you can analyze and you can turn around and around and there's mm-hmm. all different points of view and there's so many different answers around depending on sort of what you the perspective you're coming from and i love that about a movie i think it's great i i i mean heck we break down the walking dead all the time Mm -hmm. so it's kind of one of the things i really enjoy is breaking down these things i'm very interested in in films and t like i always see like the director's commentary i'll always watch that because i like getting the analysis of what i've just seen so this is the kind of movie that you can analyze and really get into it in fact um there's even a movie called Room 237 that's all about people who do this very thing and break it down and analyze it and analyze it. And and it's kind of the genius of um, Kubrick, too, that I guess all through the film, things are sort of shifting around. They don't stay where you think that they are. Um, Things that are too weird to just be and too obvious to just be mistakes, just goofs. You know, the the pen is facing mm-hmm. this way, then it's facing this way. The typewriter is one color and then it's another color. Uh, things that are that are sort of just fuck with the viewer. It yeah. does that all through the movie. Oh. And there's a tree here. No, the tree is gone. And right. it's not that um, it, it's not just your typical goof. These are I'm sure uh, even though he says it's not true, but there is. There's all kinds of hidden little Easter eggs all through this movie. He, and wait, I he said that. it wasn't true. Sorry. He said it wasn't true. Uh, well, no, I don't think he's ever. I don't know what he said is true or not true, but um, there are certain things I know he has said. No, that's not true. Like the the twins. Uh, there's a photographer, Diane Arbus, who has a, a famous shot of uh, two twin girls, and um, he's uh, Kubik studied photography and is a fan of Diane Arbus. But he says, no, 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 that wasn't intentional. And so, uh, but it, because the girls look be- just like hers or something. Go look it up. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? That the girls <laughs> yes. in the movie look yes. like that? Okay. Like, how could that not be intentional? So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know all the different things that he's uh, said were or weren't intentional, but it's fascinating. And you know what? He might not have even weighed in on a bunch of things, too. He might have just left it to the viewers to um, analyze and roll around. And I love that. I think it's great. So um, Yeah, he died in, I think, 99 or sometime right after Eyes Wide Shut was filmed. Um, but I think that I saw some of that movie and I really do think that, you know, a lot of, I'm going to talk about one thing in particular that I suspect was intentional, but I also think that a lot of the things that people get out of it were not, (laughs) Uh uh-huh. Yeah. Just like it's conspiracy theory, you know? Yes. And yeah, which I love. (laughs) but I, you know, like one of the things they say that is interesting to read about was that, uh, well, they say that Kubrick, I forget what this has to do with the shining, but they say that it somehow shows that he actually filmed the faked moon landing, that the moon landing was actually a fake and it was filmed by Kubrick. Really? Yeah. And people like come up with all these, uh, uh, not proof, but evidence when they look at the moon landing uh, film and say, look, the lighting is wrong here and the shading is wrong and there's no stars and all this. And then I went on Quora.com and looked that up and they're like, no, 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 that these people don't know anything about lighting that here's why it's like that. <laughs> you know, they give like <laughs> rational explanations for it. 
So I don't know. I, 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 I totally am with you about like it being cool that this is a deep film that makes it really easy to chew into from tons of different angles and analyze and stuff like that. And then the other side of me is like, but some people are just reading too much into it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But it doesn't make it any less interesting. It's fun. For me. Yeah, yeah, of course. And then there's always I, that argument that you can find stuff in art, even if the artist didn't consciously intend it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's kind of cool, too. Mm-hmm. So what's your number three? My number three is the acting, which I thought all across the board was phenomenal. Um, I agree. I thought Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, and Danny Lloyd, the principals, were really good. Um, I'm really interested, like, it sounds like it was sort of method. Um, This is from Wikipedia. You kind of alluded to it, but it says, Shining had a prolonged and arduous production period, often with very long workdays. Principal photography took over a year to complete due to Kubrick's highly methodical nature. Actress Shelley Duvall did not get along well, well with Kubrick, frequently arguing with him on set about lines in the script, her acting techniques, and numerous other things. Duvall eventually became so overwhelmed by the stress of her role that she became physically ill for months. At one point, she was under so much stress, her hair began to fall out. The shooting script was being changed constantly, sometimes several times a day, adding more stress. Jack Nicholson eventually became so frustrated with the ever-changing script that he would throw away the copies that the production team would give to him, memorize, knowing that it was just going to change anyway. He learned most of his lines just minutes before filming them. So I saw a, a clip of a different documentary with him, like Kubrick, yelling at Shelley Long, and I think he called her a bitch. And Shelley Duvall. Or Shelley Duvall, yeah, and she was crying. And oh. it was horrible. <laughs> Poor thing. I also heard that he told uh, everybody on the set, don't don't sympathize with her. Don't offer her any kindness. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And for a year? Yeah. yeah, can you imagine? That is messed up, man. And she's only done a few roles since then. So I wonder if that had something to do with it. She did Popeye soon after. Oh, yeah. She makes a good olive oil. Yeah. I mean, apparently, she's one of... Uh, uh, who, what's the guy, Robert Altman's main actress. She was in a bunch of his seventies movies. So oh, no he, kidding. He hired her to be olive oil. <laughs> um, for Danny, for Danny Torrance, they uh-huh. auditioned, I think I read 5,000 kids to find a, a kid with speech patterns that were kind of in between Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall. And wow. they say that Danny Lloyd in particular was, selected because he could maintain his concentration over extended periods of time. Wow. And he was great. That's crazy. Right? Yeah, One he was best. great. He he really, really was. Yeah, and that's another thing. They protected him on the set, actually. That's yeah. another thing I read. Yeah, they they said that he he was he thought he was in a drama about a family yeah. that lived in a hotel. <laughs> I I read that and then I watched I read that before I watched uh, The Shining and I kept wondering how could he think this was a yeah. drama? Okay, <laughs> why like why would you scream red rum? <laughs> right, <laughs> a psychological thriller. <laughs> so I guess that's the opposite, huh? I never thought about that, but Kubrick was okay with torturing Shelley Duvall, but not the kid. So that says yep. something for him. Yep. If this yep. is all true. Um, I loved how vivaciously Jack Nicholson played it. At first, I was sort of on Stephen King's side thinking that 
it would have been better to have an everyday guy come in. But see, Stephen King's story is different than this story because in Stephen King's story, it's it's a fa- it's a family that is fine, and there he you know there's love there. And in this story, that they're, they're kind of broken already, I, I think. So get, this is the first time I viewed it through that lens, and so I actually even like it even more because. I'm like, yeah, they were already broken. And so the way he was acting was okay. Because before I was sort of like, oh, he's already being all creepy. And so that doesn't make sense. But now I think it does. Um, Then the last thing I wanted to say is I like um, the Grady guy. Yeah, he was good, wasn't he? He was really good because he seemed so innocent at first. And he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he just got more and more creepy and authoritative and evil just in that one scene. And he gives two different names at two different times. Well, I think um, it's Delbert yeah. O'Grady or something like that. And then there's another name he gives. And uh, yeah, weird, really weird. The, again, the kind of thing where you can be, you can sort of scratch your head and go, huh, why did he give two different names? It's kind of weird. And by the way, Scatman Crothers, wasn't he wonderful Oh, he was in good it? too, yeah. Yeah, he's got the shining. <laughs> All right, so my number two. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I this sort of um, we we sort of talk about whether it was a, a ghost story or not. I'm going to go ahead and you know I weigh down on the uh, ghost story side of things. Me and too. It's by a, the way, it's a ghost story yeah. at a hotel. And yeah. next week, David and I are going on vacation, and we're only going for a week, and we're going into the gold country, the old. Uh, visiting a couple of these old gold country hotels in uh, in the Sierras. Mm-hmm. And we're going to two hotels that not only are they known to have ghosts, but mm. they advertise it. They actually have it on their website. Oh, hey, we have ghosts. And I didn't choose them for that at all. I chose them because they're really cool old hotels in the gold country. But the first one that we're going to is the National Hotel in Jackson. And then we're going to the Groveland uh, Hotel in Groveland right outside of Yosemite. And <laughs> looking at the watching the movie, uh, I was like, dang, ghosts in hotels are really scary. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> really? Like you're, you're going to be freaked out? I hope I won't be freaked out, but I probably will be. Um, I get up early Let's go to sometimes. The Best Western. And, yeah, that there's no ghost at Best Western. <laughs> um, the and then also we're motto. having. Yeah, that should be their advertising slogan. We're also having lunch at the Awani Hotel inside Yosemite uh, Valley, and mm-hmm. uh, some of the interior shots of this movie were modeled on the Awani. So, yay, ghost, ghost, ghost. It's going to be my ghost tour of the Sierras next week. Hooray. Maybe David can work on his novel while you're on your trip. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring Posey along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. All right, that was my number two. Okay, my number two is one of these theories that everyone has, that people have. And this is one that I sort of noticed myself and I think there may be something to it that there's a whole theme of Native American displacement going on. Yeah. Um, because they mentioned that there was a Indian burial ground that this hotel was made on, which reminded me of poltergeist. Um, and there's lots of Native American decoration and artwork and iconography around. And, uh, they said that when they were building the hotel, they were attacked 
by Native Americans. And so I'm like, God, it's kind of perverse to take over somebody's land, build right on top of their sacred ground, and then put up their decorations. Yes. And then there's other, like the ball that you see Jack Nicholson at at the end, it says 4th of July ball. So that's very American. And Mm -hmm. also when um, he gets a drink from Lloyd, he just kind of out of nowhere says white man's burden, which is kind of a non sequitur. I'm not sure why he said that, but originally that phrase I looked it up came from a Rudyard Kipling poem about colonialism and manifest destiny that, you know, just sort of espousing the idea that white people should go in and help everyone else learn the right way to live. (laughs) Wow. And so I think it's pretty obvious just the fact that it's mentioned means that it has something to do with the film, but even going a little further with it, it seemed like, or I didn't quite get why Grady or O'Grady or whatever his name is says, Oh, I've always been here. And so have you. And then you see him with his picture, you know, in the twenties, I'm like, what does that mean? What are they trying to say about that? The, the people were always there. And it sort of reminds me of when, you know, it's like the theme of, us coming or the white man coming in and displacing native Americans and then sort of practically obliterating any signs that they were there and making it seem like, no, this is our place. We were always here. Yeah. Right. 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 <clears throat> That's weird. Oh, I don't know. Um, there was another, uh, icon, um, remember when they were in the food locker and, or the, the, the big walk-in pantry. Yeah. The cans with an Indian on them, I think. Mm-hmm. Turn to to face the camera, and uh, yeah, there was a lot of that imagery throughout. Certainly, again, you don't get a lot of easy answers in this movie. No, which is great because it's a ghost story. It's a story about uh, a broken family. There's all this other things on the fringe to think about. It's also got. Uh, at the time, groundbreaking techniques and photography. I guess it's one of the first films to use a Steadicam, and it used it a lot. Yeah, right. And they used it so well. Mm-hmm. So great. And running through the maze. God, yeah. so great. Oh, and I, I like that uh, big wheel scenes a lot, too. And it was great how sometimes they'd show them going through the maze around these corners, and then it would kind of reflect when Danny's riding his big wheel all around the hotel. It was sort of maze-like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you did, oh wait, you have a new number one now, right? I do. Okay, what is it? I do, but we've already kind of uh, talked, about uh, it. talked about it. Yeah, which is the final shot of the frozen Jack and the picture of the hotel in the 1920s of his mm-hmm. with his face on it. That's a real photo, by the way. A real photo from 1921, and they just superimposed Jack Nicholson's face onto the guy in the front. Back before Photoshop. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly so yeah loved the ending i have no idea what it means (laughs) okay so my number one we've talked about a lot already it's the state of jack torrance and the torrance relationship i just think that he already was in a bad place but i don't think he was already crazy i think the hotel drove him crazy i don't know maybe there was some part of him that was answering the hotel's call because subconsciously he knew what was going to happen but it's hard to know it seems like maybe the hotel is drawing people there in order to consume them or something like that it does seem that way 
but I do, I did feel from the very beginning that he has this persecution complex and that he, you know, he's like got this attitude, like, God, you're the bane, you're the bane of me. And this, she, she messes up everything and she's always apologetic. Okay. I'll be quiet. And that just seems so real to me, particularly to tell you the truth, because when I grew up, I had two different stepfathers and both of them were kind of like that (laughs) one Mm. more than the other. And, um, that made just that fact that I had that made, makes this movie particularly, uh, kind of uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. Cause I see, yeah, I see Jack Nicholson like that. And I'm just like, you fucker, you're just like my stepfather and you're a jerk. And, you know, also it kind of makes me wonder, well, I know sometimes I feel like I'm like, Hey, I'm really put upon here. And then I kind of lash out verbally and I'm like, dude, I do that sometimes too. You get all like absorbed in being feeling like a victim and you lash out. And then later I look, look on it and realize, man, I was a real jerk <laughs> then. So Who amongst us hasn't done that. Yeah. Everybody does it to a degree. And I just really yep. need to take, to keep an eye on it. So I don't end up like that. Like Jack Nicholson. Oh, here's yeah, Johnny. Could, no, I'm just <laughs> You could never wind up like that guy. By the way, uh, if somebody offered you a gig at a hotel as a caretaker over the winter mm-hmm. with uh, your lovely wife and, and son, mm-hmm. would you do it? Would you accept the gig? That sounds like fun. Yeah, I, don't, I think that would be great. Nico no would have fun freaking there. way would I, I ever I, do it. I I've been about meaning that. to write a novel actually for a long time. Uh huh. Right. <laughs> and now, yeah. having seen The Shining, would you do it? Actually, I okay. Mean, let me think about that seriously. You know what? That's that does sound great. Does it? Yeah. Be, well, if there was satellite internet. <laughs> okay. Then, okay. No, there is no satellite internet. If You're anything kind of goes off. wrong, Jenny can Skype Mr. Holleran. <laughs> She will only be able to radio the local uh, sheriffs uh, or uh, Nico will be able to use his shining. I mean, I still think like right now because I don't have. Well, you know what? I don't want to do it because I I wouldn't be able to podcast. But um, (laughs) otherwise, if I could do Internet stuff, I would totally do it because. Would you? Of course, it'd be amazing. I mean, it's just a horror movie. That's like saying after you see Jaws, are you ever going to swim in the ocean again? Yes, I am. But you're so isolated. And wouldn't you get cabin fever? You love people. It's a huge hotel. And just for a summer, I mean, if you had enough books. No, no, no. A winter. A winter. Yeah, yeah. Just for a winter. If you had enough books and, and you're saying no internet. So I guess if I could bring my DVDs and. You know, stuff. To and you know with. what? I'm going to I'm changing. I'm changing my mind. You can have your Internet. You can Skype. We can still do the podcast. Oh, hell yes. Yeah, that would I think that would be awesome just for one winter. Yeah, totally. Five months, a whole five months. Yeah. I, you know what I say? I say a, a giant resounding hell no <laughs> <laughs> to it. I would hate it because already giant hotels like that creep me out. But giant empty hotels? Oh my god, that would but be, be uh, that would David be five months of cats. being creeped out. <laughs> 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 yes, if I could bring dogs and cats, yeah. dogs and cats, dogs and cats. Yeah, uh, no, 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 <laughs> I wouldn't do it. Although I do like the thought of riding a bike in the hallway. They, won't, they wouldn't allow that. I guess you can do whatever you want. They, they don't do know. whatever the hell you want. You can throw <laughs> a you can throw a tennis ball around in the great room. 
Who there is to say no? I loved how. Oh, sorry, the ghost. He threw himself into that too. So yeah, cool. he really did. Apparently, he came up with that whole bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I guess, I wish I knew a little bit more. Like when uh, Danny says he wants to leave the hotel, or anyone says they want to leave, he gets really upset. So it feels like whatever evil forces are there are getting their hooks in him, and. Yeah. So I want to, there's a weird line between his natural messed upness and whatever the supernatural forces of the hotel are, are doing to him. And, uh, it would have been interesting if that was a little more clear maybe, but I don't know, maybe not. I don't like my answers spelled out. Yeah. I, in this case, um, I don't, I definitely don't want like, oh, tell me exactly what was happening when, but it just would like I think in the book you get a lot more interactions between Jack and other ghostly characters. So it just wouldn't have been fun to see that. Yeah. Okay. I have some notes. Do it. Thought it was interesting that so many, I think almost every one of Stephen King's book has characters with mind powers. Telepathy. Yeah. Mostly telepathy, but telekinesis, pyrokinesis. And I wonder why, why does he do that? Like he just can't resist or maybe just doesn't want to for some reason. Yeah. He loves that. Doesn't he? Yeah. Every time I think a lot of people would think that this movie is too slow. There's like a half an hour in and it's still set up. There's two interviews, Jack's job interview and Wendy, Wendy's doctor or Danny's doctor asking Wendy about his past we're meeting people. We're learning the Torrance's family history. We're getting the lay of the land of the hotel. And uh, like I said before, if it wasn't for the music, I think I would have been bored. But um, I like a slow movie every once in a while, a, a deliberately paced movie. Right. You you talked about this before that that as long as the as it keeps progressing mm-hmm. and and it keeps building towards something. Yeah. 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 And that, this film does that. It's a very slow pace, but it's a deliberate pace, and it's building and building and building, and it has an excellent climax. So mm-hmm. that's yeah, true. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Um, Danny's favorite food is the same as Nico's, and that's French fries and ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> he also likes. He also eggs. likes ice cream. Yeah, that's right. Um, I was wondering who who do you think Tony is? What is Tony? Who the heck knows? I don't know. <laughs> well, in the book, at, towards the end, I guess, um, you find out that Danny's middle name is Anthony. Oh. It's also mine. And it suggests that Tony is a version of him that's 10 years older. So he's 15 and he's maybe protecting him from the future or something like that. Weird. Does, is he related to his ability to, to tell a uh, yeah sorry shining yeah yes his shining mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you yeah and speaking of that i was trying to think okay are there is there more than one supernatural phenomenon going on here there's the shining which gives danny the ability to talk to other people uh, via thought and also kind of know things there's the ghosts and there's tony i think the shining helps him see the ghosts but they're two different things Oh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, that is really weird. So it doesn't really explain it uh, completely in the book. 
I don't remember. I don't, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was, if it was just like, yeah, there's these creepy things that most people can't see, but because you have the shining, you can see it. Right. I liked that when Wendy and Danny were watching cartoons after Jack decides that he needs to quote, correct them, that the it's road runner, the coyotes after you road runner. If he catches you, you're through. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember the cartoon. I'm even going, Hey, that's a road runner cartoon, but I didn't connect it. Nicely done. And then, uh, in the end, Grady tells Jack that he doesn't think he is serious or that he has the belly for it or basically has what it takes to do. It needs to be done. And he was right. Turns out he was right. He didn't. <laughs> he failed. <laughs> he tried. He did try his best. Yes, he tried. He, he would have, he would have uh, clobbered them both if he found them. Sure. I think he would have totally bludgeoned both Wendy and Danny. Do you feel sorry for him? Uh, no, he is, you know? he's not that sympathetic of a character. No, mm, I know. I remember before the, that movie, I thought Jack Nicholson, what a great guy. And then after I'm like, what a scary guy. His eyebrows, that, <laughs> that laugh. Oh yeah. He's great. I love him. I saw this, uh, video of Jennifer. What's her name from, um, hunger games. Lawrence. Lawrence. She was like talking to somebody after the Oscars. I think she won, maybe won an Oscar or something. Uh And Uh she was just talking to him about what it's like now that she's, you know, had more success. And then Jack Nicholson comes up behind her and touches her on the shoulder. And he goes, hey, I really liked what you were doing or something like that. And she just turns around and she mouths, oh, my God. (laughs) 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 It's Jack Nicholson. And she's like, I think he was hitting on me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh, anyway he does any- like he does like the babes <laughs> I, well i'm curious what uh people thought about this movie write in and and let me know if you watched it for the first time and what you thought about it do you have anything more to say about it Numbers of citizens. The people he kills get up and kill. Are they slow moving, Chief? Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. This is a Walking Deadcast news update. <laughs> Man, sitting at Walker Stalker Con and up on stage with Judith O'Day and Russ Strainer. And yeah? I was just like, the, uh, you know, it, when I'm asking the questions, I'm not really thinking about this, but there was a long string of questions from the audience. And so I was just kind of looking at them and I was like, holy shit, I'm standing up here, sitting up here next to the people who are in Night of the Living Dead. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty awesome, right? Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I love zombies and here are two people from the first one. It's amazing. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and they're so nice. Yeah. They're I mean, really cool. All right. I so I got to see Judith, but yeah. first, uh, oh yeah. And, and there were a lot of people too at the panel this time. That was cool. Oh, good. I'm glad yeah. she deserves it. Totally. Okay. Walking Dead producer Jolly Dale says that the season five premiere is quote, by far the biggest episode that we've ever done. 
So getting it all together to make it come off as good as we want it has been a huge task, but it's going to be amazing. <clears throat> so what does that mean? Tons of zombies? It's a zombie palooza. Uh, is that October? Are yeah, we, October. Are we, we don't know the date October? yet. And do you think they're filming right now? Uh, yeah, they are filming right now. Definitely. Um, Nicotero said that episode is the most challenging episode so far and is like a mini movie. So that's cool. They're talking it up. Should good. Be good. Uh, there was an internet hoax saying that Andrew Lincoln died in a snowboarding accident at a ski resort in Switzerland. Wanted to make sure what? that was a hoax, that I say that was a hoax right off the bat. <laughs> wow. Did you hear it? I mean, did you hear it as a, as the rumor? No, I just read it as the hoax, but I guess a lot of people believed it for a little while, but he's alive and well and probably shouting Carl right now somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> So don't worry. And, he, and his, uh, he's probably um, pretty sweaty and filthy. That's right. my guess. In a sexy way. In a sexy way. <laughs> some Ooh, people filthy making... are sexy and some aren't. Wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah. But uh, Andrew Lincoln can pretty much be wearing a burlap sack. And I would still think he was <laughs> incredibly sexy. I mean, I think Andrew Lincoln looks sexier when he's filthy, actually, than when he's clean. I could take them both ways. <laughs> I, you know, I don't mind. Because he was really clean when the series started. And now he looks like, you know, he looks more like a sex symbol than he did when it started, I think. But yeah. Anyway, that's enough talking about sex. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's move on. So it, uh, this is a short one. Walking Dead has been seen filming at an old hospital in Georgia. So we get some hospital scenes. Oh, interesting. Season. That'd be cool. Uh, Nick Cotero said they've modified the look of the zombies even more this season. He said, quote, these walkers have been around for what we estimate to be a year and a half. So that's cool. We get kind of how long they've been, you know, in the apocalypse. He says, so there's a lot more exposed bone and skin falling off. We've got a whole new look on some of these featured walkers. Dang. So are they going to be, you know, pulling skin off people as their extras? Do you want to do that? Actually get my skin pulled off. (laughs) (laughs) no i wouldn't go that far you take a pass yeah uh okay this next one is potentially a big spoiler but it's just a rumor um so you've been warned if you don't like potential big spoilers you should skip ahead so all right i'm gonna skip ahead there's a rumor that a popular amc show is looking for an old model sonogram machine which could mean one of the characters on walking dead is preggers Interesting. There's one person that jumps out to me who that would be. What do you think? I'm going to say Maggie. Yeah. That's what I would think too. But who knows? Who knows? Uh, This next one is a potentially very, very huge spoiler, like the biggest kind of spoiler, but it's also just a rumor. So they all die. If you, (laughs) you get the idea. Uh, They all die in the first episode back. Sorry, we spoiled you. (laughs) No, but there's a rumor going around that Glenn will die this season. (gasps) Yeah. They better not kill him. All right, producers, if you listen to this podcast at all or know anybody who knows the producers, tell them if Glenn dies, that's it. I'm done. Done. Go back and re-film those scenes right now if you want to keep Aaron as a listener. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they just started filming. He's not dead yet. No, they didn't. They've been filming for a while. 
Really? Um, yeah. A couple months. But uh, you kill my Glenn. But I just want to assure you, producers, that Karen will keep on watching. She may, she may not. <laughs> um, she, she's uh, well. Actually, she's full of a lot of empty threats. I've I've sworn off Game of Thrones twice now, and yeah, I'm still watching. Exactly. Wasn't so. it amazing? Yes. Oh my god! What a great oh ending. My god. Oh my god! Oh um, my god! Oh my god! Yeah. yeah. Uh, I I basically had my jaw open the entire uh, time I was watching. Uh, David kept looking over at me, <laughs> laughing at me. I was supremely satisfied with that. Um, well, okay. So here's the thing about this whole Glenn thing. Yes. You know, someone, uh, one of the Walker Stalker con people, I forget who, said she asked him about it, and she said, "Hey." Rumor has it you're gone. And she said that he said, oh, people are stupid. Yay! Which to me is like a nail in the coffin. Because at Walker Stalker Con Atlanta, when Glenn was really sick, he told you and me, okay, don't let on that he that I survived because I don't want people to be too comfortable with it. So he was sort of playing up the fact that he might be gone. But... If he actually is gone, then he's might be like, oh, no, don't worry about it. You're overanalyzing it. He's People are stupid. psychology. <laughs> People are stupid. I'm just going to go with that. Okay. I choose to believe that, that, people, that, are stupid. Gonna, that people are stupid. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it for the news. Okay. So I am going to let you know finally who won the copies of Walking Dead Season 1, 400 Days, and Season 2. This, by the way, is you're going to get a Steam key that you can use to download the game for PC or Mac or both if you have both. We cool. had, Yeah, we had a bunch of entries and... Uh, I want to thank Telltale for making these available and also thank everyone who entered. We can only give away three copies. I randomly picked from all the entrants, so it didn't matter what you wrote, but um, thanks for putting some thought into that because that just makes it good advertising and stuff. But uh, here's the three winners. The winners are Crispy Lunkett, (laughs) who is at Crispy Lunkett, who he or she says... I love the total immersion Telltale Games brings to the Walking Dead universe. Perfect combo of comic and TV show. Uh, Next one is Shelby, who goes by Shelbinator29. She says, I'd love to win any Walking Dead game to spend my first summer as a college graduate kicking zombie butt. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) I'd say you've earned it. And finally, winner number three, Matt Swain, who's at M.I. Swain. He says, love the Walking Dead TV show, so it'd be great to play the video game. Hashtag don't get bit. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Congratulations to you guys. Uh, if you hear this and I haven't contacted you yet, just give me a message on Twitter, but I will get in touch with you guys to give you your codes. And I'd love to hear how the game playing goes. Sweet. Thanks, Telltale. All right. Let's move on to listener moans, groans, and grunts. Uh- <laughs> You want to get the first one? Sure. This first one comes from Anthony Farnsworth, who writes, I'm listening to your top five horror movie episode right now. I noticed you made a comment that you were 20 minutes into the episode and 
and you hadn't even started yet, and it, you seemed a little flustered, like you had to wrap things up to appease us. Well, I actually rather enjoy listening to tangents and runoff conversations. I'm not sure what sort of constraints you guys are working with, time, personal life, but I think some of the best pieces come from when you guys are just bullshitting. Eve, everything is so uh, too scripted nowadays. The email is scripted, texting someone is scripted. Even before you meet people, uh, you are um, meet meet people, uh, you're trying to figure out what to say next. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is sometimes you just got to let it flow. Go ahead and talk about whatever. It's your podcast after all. Anthony Farnsworth, thanks for saying that. And now I'm just going to talk about my cat. (laughs) (laughs) How is your cat? She's good. Uh, The reason I was gone for so long, we had a little break right there, people. Uh, we're going to test your patience, Anthony. Um, the reason I was gone for so long when we had a little break just now is because my cat looked at me like, if I don't feed her right now, she's mm-hmm. going to bug us when we're podcasting. So to keep her from bugging us, I went to go feed her. That's and that, fascinating. My friends, is Can my you life. tell me some more about that? <laughs> no. No, I love our listeners. Okay. And I love you, Anthony Farnsworth. Have you ever looked at your hand? Like really looked at it? <laughs> I mean, really looked at your hand? <laughs> Uh, yes. The other day, I was digging out some lint for my belly button. You were not. And liar. I'm going to get some right now. Hold on a second. Emma, Emma Bell was digging out the lint from your belly button. <laughs> You're making it interesting now. <laughs> no, actually, I totally appreciate that. But um, and yeah, I, I, th- I think that actually was pretty cool talking about Game of Thrones and all that stuff. There is a limit, though. Did you? You don't want to hear about lint, you, belly button lint you, for longer than ten minutes or so. Trust me. And Anthony, what the the truth is that um, that uh, we had been talking about Game of Thrones for probably close to an hour, and you just heard the edited version. <laughs> <laughs> no, I left it all in there. Did you? You um, left yeah. it all in there? Yeah, because all it's pop culture stuff. I mean, also, you know, I feel like we have chapters, so people can skip ahead if they want. <laughs> Thank God for chapters. Yeah. But, you know, I, I do feel like, especially during the off season and all that pop culture stuff. But cats and lint, I'm not so sure people would want that. Unless it's Emma Bill picking out your lint. <laughs> you just gave me something what to dream I'm about. about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This next one is from Eric Sherman. He says, my girlfriend has never seen the original Romero trilogy, so I picked up Night, Dawn, and Day to show her where the phenomenon began. After listening to your recent praise of the Dawn of the Dead remake, I'm now very curious to watch the remake. I just dismissed it and never saw it. Time to give it a shot. Awesome, man. You're going to love it, I think. Tell us what you Mm -hmm. thought, as long as you're okay with fast zombies. Also, any other zombie flicks slash comics, etc. you might recommend? I know you've talked about iZombie, the comic, on the podcast before. Is that related to at all to the 1998 movie by the same name? Uh, as far as I, I don't know anything about the movie and not much about the comic, but as far as I know, they're not related. But the comic is like this woman who's a zombie and solves crimes by eating people's brains because then she gets all their knowledge or something like that. I don't know. But uh, there's going to be a TV show about that. Is there? Yeah, based loosely based on that comic. Uh, so she she finds the dead people, and the way that she finds out how they were murdered is she eats the dead people's brains. Uh, something like that. Yeah. Interesting. I think that's yeah, yeah. 
I can I can get behind that. <laughs> uh, and I also recommend Eric uh, Shaun of the Dead is fantastic. Right. Zombie so Land. Zombieland. Yes. What else? Uh, I love the 1990 Night of the Living Dead remake, but it's uh, it feels more indie. It's done by Tom Savini, who was the main special effects guy on the Romero movies, and it was also written by George Romero, the script. So those are good. Yeah, I would have to agree. And, uh, oh, Evil Dead 2. Oh, yeah. Although you could argue that's not about zombies. But just watch it. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Okay, this next email comes from Jason McKeever, who writes, Hey, how y'all doing? I know I'm a little behind here, but I just listened to your podcast. I had a favorite scary movie for very personal reasons. When I was 12 in 1990, Pet Cemetery was out on VHS. Ah, VHS. My <laughs> parents would allow me to watch horror movies, but only after everyone went to bed for the night. So one Saturday night after my parents' brother's sister, none of whom liked horror movies, had all gone to bed. I was up late watching Pet Cemetery on VHS. <laughs> Around that time uh, where the little boy gets killed and buried, I sent something out of the corner of my eye in the dark. I turned to see my sleepwalking sister standing at the end of the hallway facing me with her eyes closed. I yelled her name, Carrie! She didn't react, but turned back and walked to her room. But instead of walking into her bedroom, she walked into mine! I yelled her name again, and, and she stopped and walked over and into her bedroom. I couldn't sleep that night, just laid in bed staring at the door. I'll never <laughs> forget the, the, that movie because of that night, but I've been hooked on horror movies more than ever since. The way they make my heart race is one of the best feelings in the world. Wow, Jason. I hope you give Carrie a hard time to this day about that. Do you think yeah. she was maybe fucking with you? Or do you think she really was sleepwalking? I think she was sleepwalking. And that's a, I think that's a pretty good movie. And, and the book is really good, too. Pet Cemetery. Stephen King. Creepy. That's a good wow, story, that's man. That's a great story. <laughs> Creepy. Okay. Uh, I wonder how things are with his sister now, but anyways. Okay. This is from Catherine Haynes. Hi guys. Love listening to your show and wanted to make a suggestion on how to pass the time till walking dead returns this fall. There's a series by Mira Grant called the news flesh trilogy feed deadline and blackout about a brother and sister journalist duo who are living in post California tw uh, 20 years after a zombie virus devastates the world. They're like a combo of a political thriller and zombie thriller. What's unique about this zombie story is that it shows society after we have reclaimed most of it from the infected. I think you would also love all of the horror pop culture references as the characters say that the world only survived because of everything they'd learned from the thriller masters like Romero and Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely worth checking out if you guys are needing a little summer reading to get your undead fix. Thanks, Catherine. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. I've learned a lot from watching Buffy. <laughs> Important things. How to quip. Yeah, how to quip right before you dust a vamp. <laughs> That's great. Thank you for writing, Catherine. This one comes from Chris Plunkett, who writes, I had a random top five idea that I thought could fit into the show if you ever needed an extra idea one day. Oh, we do. <laughs> top five scary stories, urban legends that scared you as a kid. That's a brilliant idea. The recent event where the girls stabbed their friend to sacrifice her to Slender Man got me thinking of all the stories that really scared the shit out of me as a kid. Thought you might be able to use it one day, so wanted to pass it on. Stay cool and don't get bit. 
Wow, that is a great, great idea, Chris. And by the way, do you know this Slenderman story? Vaguely, that these girls stabbed another kid or something and said they did it to pacify Slenderman. Yes. Yeah, exactly. A real, a real horrible story based on this weird little fan fiction thing that's going on right now. Um, so not really an urban legend, but kind of along those lines. I think that's a great idea. Well, the only thing is that I have a really bad memory, so I don't, I'll have to think about it. <laughs> if I can it could be your top any. five favorite current urban legends. Yeah. I mean, the way I would tackle this probably would be to go online and look up urban legends and see if I remember any of them. <laughs> <laughs> that works. But yeah, I like the idea. Well, I'll think about it for sure. Uh, if I can remember some, then definitely. <laughs> if you remember to even do it. <laughs> yeah. So Mike Belisario <laughs> says, I just listened to your episode about your top five horror movies. I really enjoyed hearing your list and, w- and was pleasantly surprised to hear number one was Dawn of the Dead 2004, Jason. The first 15 minutes of that movie were some of the scariest I've ever seen. I know. I love the first 15 minutes of that movie. So good. Well, yeah, is is that one of the ones where she's driving away and the zombies chasing after yeah, her? Yeah, pounding the on the windshield yeah. and and she's yes. like and they're running all around the neighborhood and yes. she's got some blood on her and the neighbor comes up and says, "Get back in your car right now." And then a ambulance or something smacks into him while he's pointing oh. his gun at her. Oh my god, that's <laughs> awesome. It's really messed up. Uh, He says, while I agree that fast zombies are not as traditional, they're extremely frightening. My new love is Game of Thrones. I just got into it after Walking Dead season ended. I started watching during the free watchathon and got through 1.5 seasons before it ended. Subsequently, I subscribed to HBO to watch the rest. Well played, Comcast. And (laughs) I'm completely hooked. I think it's absolutely wonderful that you're going to do a Game of Thrones podcast. I've been listening to the Bald Move podcast, and it's good, but I'd really like to hear you talk about it. Since, I'm, since I've been watching Game of Thrones, I find that I go about my day thinking of people's behavior in terms of honor, betrayal, and if they remind me of a Lannister. <laughs> <laughs> and which Lannister? I like that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, dude, we're totally going to do it next year, so get ready. And we're also going to do a Game of Thrones podcast, uh, just a, a one-off for um, season the, for four. our podcast. Yes, and that will be not for a little while, probably another, because uh, next episode we're doing Dead Set, so it'll be the one after that, I think. So that'll be like either three or four weeks from now. So you have a little time to digest and, and everything. But definitely get caught up so that... Um, you can so listen. So that... Uh, uh, you can listen to our podcast because we're going to be specifically talking about the season finale, mm-hmm. the last season. Yeah, and I highly recommend if any of you haven't been watching Game of Thrones just because you don't have HBO or whatever, uh, get caught up. Go to find a friend who has HBO or go on iTunes. You can actually uh, buy or maybe rent the first three of the four seasons so far. Just watch the first one or two and you'll know whether or not you like it. It's got zombies yeah, in and it. You'll like it. <laughs> yeah, it's freaking awesome. Okay, and, and this is from Lisa Betham, who writes. Um, so, whose idea was it to only make ten episodes of Game of Thrones? Jason, I blame you. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to do a Game of Thrones recap episode with Mr. Blog and Karen? Those episodes are great. Why? Well, yes, yes, we are. Yep. 
Uh, I I suggested they only do eight. So no, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> I recently read that Mr. What's his name? I always forget the guy's name. Something. Uh, R- George R. R. Martin. George R. R. Martin. He wants. He really wants HBO to start going to thirteen from now on. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but it's I, I, probably tremendously expensive. Oh yeah, I don't even see how they can afford to do it now. Nope, I don't either. Except that it's so incredibly popular, everybody's subscribing to HBO. HBO. And, you know, well played, it, Comcast. Just recently, it, it 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 beat out Sopranos as the most watched HBO show. Really? Mm-hmm. God, that's great. Mm-hmm. Apparently is pretty awesome too. Okay, from John Seaman, love your podcast, longtime listener, first time writing in. You guys left out a couple. He's talking about horror movies. Hellraiser. Yeah, I I think Hellraiser is pretty classic. So that should have at least gone on my honorable mentions. Number two, Army of Darkness, Evil Dead series. How could you? <laughs> yeah, the Army of Darkness is great. It is. It's not quite as good as Evil Dead 2, in my opinion, but it's pretty damn good pretty good tremors kevin bacon awesome it, that is an a wonderful movie yeah have you, you you've seen you've seen tremors right i love it was playing at the movie theater when i was working there so i watched it like 12 times man it's really good yeah. and it holds up does it i yeah i saw it recently oh. and i'm like this is a great oh. movie it's still great i want to watch it again yeah i i recommend it it's so good oh man see this is great because <clears throat> there's all these movies coming up that I think it would be fun to do on the podcast during the off season. Yeah, we, we should do Tremors. We should do Tremors, so, yeah, as a, as a palate cleanser after the heaviness of The Shining. Right, right. <laughs> we'll just, yeah, sometime whenever we can. Okay, the next video dead, my first horror zombie. I was 16 and may, and may have been creepier at the time. Haven't seen it since, but it was creepy as hell. I don't know that one. Video dead? Video dead. I don't know it either. Next, Mausoleum, Mausoleum, another movie in my teens, Breasts with Teeth, Jeesh. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that's not what it really sounds like. I know. I don't uh. know what else it could be. It seems pretty straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> True. This next one comes from Eric Sherman, who writes, Upon death, living things void their bowels. Do you think that zombies do this upon waking? And since they continue eating after losing <laughs> butthole control <laughs> do you think they poop uncontrollably i'm fairly certain that that's going to be the focus of robert kirkman's spinoff series the pooping dead <laughs> eric sherman that really really i i think the answer is yes to all of those questions yes <laughs> the pooping dead <laughs> um i don't know wait upon death they void their bowels yeah well i guess um if you Upon death, you void your bowels, and then you eat more, which they do. I think they the body does not absorb when you're a zombie because that would that would suggest that the body Living-ness. is repairing itself, so which it doesn't do because it just keeps decaying. So I think that it, the f- the food, depending on you know, it just ends up like coming out of them, like it, their stomach gets too big and it comes out or. I doubt it passes all the way through their uh, intestines or whatever. And that's all we need to say. (laughs) Uh, What's his name (laughs) said we could go on for 20 minutes about whatever we want. (laughs) 
Anthony Farnsworth. That's he right. didn't mean that we get to talk about uh, the the bowel movements of zombies. <laughs> Our I'm next sure five, well, next five episodes will be a five part series <laughs> on bowel movements of different horror characters. <laughs> we'll start with the mummy. <laughs> <laughs> How does he do that with all those wrappings? Yeah. Hey, built in toilet paper. <laughs> That's just a sneak preview. <laughs> okay. David Bishop, who is a friend of ours, who is a close friend of uh, Chris and Jason from Talking Dead, he says. Oh. Hi guys, I hope you don't mind me dropping you this note. I wanted to let you know about something that's happening that's very exciting for me. Indie Comics publisher AH Comics has decided to collect my webcomic into one complete volume via Kickstarter. Not only will it include the first five issues and the two interlude pages, but also a five-page preview of issue six. So he does this comic called, uh, I think it's The Stranger and It's Zombies, and it's good. And um, he's also just a great guy. And so... I would suggest that you go to this Kickstarter if you are at all interested in a cool zombie comic and check it out. And if you think it looks cool, then definitely um, kick in for it. I'll put a link in the show notes, but if you just um, Google stranger zombie comic, you can probably find it that way. Cool. It's David. Yeah. Thanks, David. I hope you, I hope you do well with that. We're also going to post it up on the web too, so you can find it. You know, one of our posts will just be all about that. All right. Now we have one call this week. It's Matt from San Francisco. Hold on. Hey, Jason and Karen. This is Matt from San Francisco. Uh, Thank you guys are awesome. So glad you guys are doing uh, episodes uh, during the off season. So thank you for doing that. I just wanted to talk about the movie review. I I feel like I'm really in tune with um, Cation's taste of movies. I feel like I'm kind of the same taste. I, I thought Spider-Man sucked. Um, X-Men was cool. I haven't seen Godzilla, but based on Jason's uh, opinion of it, I, it sounds like I, I do want to go to see it. But then, uh, then you mentioned that you like 90210. <laughs> uh, and I just, jeez, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I uh, yeah, yeah, I think the only way you can, you know, redeem yourself from that one, Jason, is uh, you guys got to talk about We're Alive. So fun. Such a fun uh, radio drama. Anyway, looking forward to more episodes. Don't get bit. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Smack. Well, um, we were going to talk about We're Alive, but um, we decided to do a series on The Bachelor instead. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hang on. We did talk about We're Alive. Yeah, we did. We, uh, Yeah, in case you didn't know, if you go back, I think it's in the 30s or some episode mm-hmm. a long time ago, we talked about We're Alive for a whole episode. And then like two or three episodes later, we interviewed Casey, I forget his last name, but the guy who writes and produces that show. So it's yep. kind of cool. But uh, I want to get through... I want to, th- that series is wrapping up soon. They're in season four and it's, it's about to end maybe any day now, actually. And I would love to do some kind of a wrap up episode and maybe get Seth Peterson on to talk about that. Seth Peterson, Seth Peterson. <laughs> yes. I have to yes, please. Find some time to get caught up first. 
Or do you want to just uh, go back and just watch reruns of 90210? You know, it's funny. I listened to the first part of that call and I was like, because I don't, I don't, I, you know, I don't really have time. Well, I guess I could have listened to the whole thing, but sometimes I don't have time to listen to all the calls. So if I just listen to the first part, I'm like, oh, that sounds good. And then I want to <laughs> kind of be surprised anyway on the podcast. So I was surprised. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I definitely have this. Um, side that likes some non like geeky stuff that's more i don't know chick flicky kind of stuffs it's not a whole lot but uh if you haven't seen 90210 you should definitely give it a chance i think you're gonna love it should you should you <laughs> did you Have watch, you watch the remake the 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 re-up of it no the re-up was horrible you watched it didn't you uh, only a couple episodes <laughs> one or two <laughs> Mostly because there were characters from the original on there. Yeah. You know what? You know one of the things I like about you? Here's one of the things I really, really like about you. I'll admit I to really the, like that embarrassing you're stuff. Very, yeah, you're so sexy. I like that you're uh, really upfront with your your shameful likes. That's what I just said. Like I'll the, admit to bar- embarrassing stuff. Yeah. And then you said it you was sexy. Really, yeah. <laughs> you really, really do and i really like that there's some things i just won't ever admit to like what i mean there's (laughs) that i should just say right here well okay i'll okay fine i'll go ahead and say it when i'm at the gym and somebody leaves a people magazine around i'll i'll read the people magazine Uh uh-huh and that's that's fairly shameful right (laughs) i used to read people magazine then i turned 14 and i matured out of it Uh, also, yeah, thank you. Karen. I know, I, I know. It's that. shameful, man. Yeah, but I, I don't buy it. But hell, I'll read if it's around. If well, I'm at my doctor's office, I will totally read a Purple Magazine. The, I hate that. There it is. There I'm are some things it. that I feel a little more embarrassed about, but nine hundred two one zero, especially when it first started, was not a bad TV show. Especially if you're a kid like I was. You know, I don't know how old was I. I was like eighteen, so. I'm not too ashamed of that one. <laughs> what was the name of the of the main character, uh, the actress who played her? Uh, well, there was uh, Jason Priestley and Brenda. Uh, what's her name? Uh, I forgot. Shannon Doherty. Shannon Doherty. Have you? Uh, I love. I, I love looking at her face. Her her well, crazy eyes. The girl Ke- who played Kelly. I forgot her name, but she's the blonde one. Uh huh. She was really cute and oh yeah her character started get into 90210 but her character started off as this sort of little you know um entitled rich girl and then she you know had got a lot of character depth as the series went along so it's fun to watch him change and stuff like that but uh i bet you david farnsworth is regretting telling me to talk about it's anthony farnsworth and yes he's deeply regretting it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, then why don't we um, move along to stuff that's great. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Melissa. <laughs> All right, stuff that's great. Should I go first? Or you sure, want to go, go first? Ahead. Okay. I had a hard time this week, which was sort of annoying because I had so many things to pick from. I'll give you my runners up and then I'll tell you what, what finally I decided to go with. So Penny Dreadful was something mm. that, that yeah, Penny Dreadful, I, I watched the first episode. It's good. It's really good. All kinds of crazy stuff going on there. 
Um, the trailer for Gone Girl. Uh, Richard Butler from the Psychedelic Furs lead singer. He sings the song She that... Oh, my God. It's a great trailer. It's how every Hollywood movie trailer should be done. But finally, I landed. Oh, and also my my um, dear friends, Marty and Robert, went to Hawaii and got married and uh, makes my heart really, really happy that these two guys who've been together for like a dozen years can finally get married. So yay for them. I love love. Uh, but the thing that actually won this week, and I picked it because it's related to this whole zombie thing that we do, is I just found a documentary on Netflix, and I started watching it. I haven't gotten through it yet, but I started watching it. It's called The Birth of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. It is a Night of the Living Dead documentary. Have you seen this, Jason? No, but I've heard about it. I should watch it, too. It's supposed awesome. to be good. I think Nick Cantero's in there. He, uh, uh, I haven't seen him yet, but uh, I have seen the delightful, dimpled, uh, bespeckled George Romero, mm-hmm. and George Romero is making me love him something fierce. <laughs> He's so funny in that. And Gail Ann Hurd, she's in it. And it's great. Oh, my God, it's so great. A delightful mm. documentary. Look it up. It's on Netflix, Birth of the Living Dead. Nice. Okay, mine is uh, this uh, prominent series that came out in the 90s. It's called Melrose Place. You ever seen that? Just no. kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, well, that was <laughs> a companion to 90210. Okay, no, that's not what my thing is. My thing that's great is the city of Boston, which I just Boston! returned from. And if you have never gotten to, to Boston and you've thought about it but weren't sure, I highly recommend you go. Uh, it's a very beautiful city. It's got beautiful architecture all around, especially if you go to the back Bay, it's very walkable, um, tourist friendly. There's a great subway system. There's this thing called the freedom trail that you, you can just walk Mm -hmm. along. It's unguided, but you go by all these historical sites like Paul Revere's house and the North church and all this stuff. You can walk along the Charles river and, uh, it's just, picturesque and the, the river's really wide and you look across and you see Cambridge and the food is amazing. And if you like Indian food, like I do, they have some of the best Indian food in the country. I would say what else? It, it, it's funny. Both of us went to school there. We both grew up in California and we both went to school in Massachusetts. Where'd you go to school? I went to school, university of Massachusetts Amherst. Oh, and that's close to Boston, right? Uh, not that close. Not Amherst that close. is Western Massachusetts, oh, okay. uh, in the beautiful Connecticut River Valley. And it's part of the five sister schools that include like Northampton and Amherst and, uh, those schools mm-hmm. out there, um, Mount Holyoke. Northeastern. There's and one of those great. that is near Boston, I think, or in it. Well, a couple hours away. But there are about like 30 schools in Boston so that's another thing. If you're younger, it's a lot of fun because there's so many colleges there that there's all these people from all around the country there. And uh, it's a fun place, too. There's bars and nightclubs and, you know, lots of good shopping and stuff. There's this one street in Newberry that's just uh, beautiful. And it's where you kind of go to see and be seen. And there's also kind of more raw, real parts of town that are uh, I don't know. It's very eclectic place too. All different types there. Like Massachusetts, one of my favorite cities. Yep. Yay, Boston. All right. I think that's it. Are you ready to close it out? I am. 
All right, that's our show, episode 148. Thank you for listening, everyone. Good to be back. Thanks, everybody. If you'd like, you can call us at 650-485-DEAD. That's 650-485-3323 or click send voicemail on our website. You can write us at brains at walkingdeadcast.com. You can go to our website that has continues to have lots of Walking Dead news. Thanks to Jason Taylor, even during the off season, that's walkingdeadcast.com. And thank you for clicking through our Amazon link on there whenever you shop at Amazon. We're also on Twitter at Jason and Karen, on Tumblr at walkingdeadcast.tumblr.com, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash deadcast. Next time in a couple of weeks, we'll be with Rob Sesternino of Survivor fame, and he has his burgeoning TV podcast, TV talk or related podcast network. What's it called? Uh, after show, post show recaps, I think. It's kind of like post game recaps, but with TV. And so where our world crosses over with his is the show Dead Set, which is this British zombie show that takes place on the set of Big Brother. It's reality TV meets zombies. (laughs) And it's a good show. I saw, I've seen most of it already, but I'm going to have to go back and watch it, the whole thing again. But it's, I liked it. And you can watch that on YouTube, at least right now for free. So just go on YouTube and search for dead set if you want to join us for that cool cool uh our game of thrones episode will be probably the episode right after that which will be in like three or four weeks so look forward to that yeah we'll talk about so looking forward to that yeah we i i i might have to watch the whole season again um just to remember everything but that won't be too bad because it was awesome <laughs> yeah i watched a little bit of the beginning of the, the season uh before the finale this weekend mm-hmm. and uh, God, it's so good it's it, it was a great season you know what i did i think yesterday i watched went back and watched episode one again oh did you really and i uh, it was really interesting because of the happy characters all together yeah I won't say. Yeah, who. isn't that weird? That's like the only time you'll see. Them. Uh, oh. Don't say any spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, cut yeah. all that out. <laughs> I'll edit that part out. Uh, but anyways, that's a lot to look forward to. But for now, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Don't, Don't get, get bit, Mary True.